so Bonte, um, Varapano. What does that mean? So Varapano is a Pali, and Vara means something like great, something like highest or bright, uh, and Panya is a wisdom. So great wisdom or bright wisdom, something mm. like that. Nice. So thanks for coming on here, Bonte. Um, I love speaking to people that uh, are monastics because, um, I don't know, I think it's it's just something that people, it's a lifestyle that I think needs to be brought to light to show the uh, more lay people on how this kind of, you know, this alternative lifestyle is. And uh, that's why I... I want to speak to you because that's what you're kind of showing. You're showcasing that in your uh, YouTube channel. And I don't think a lot of people are doing that. I haven't really seen many people that show the entire journey of, I mean, it's not that you're showing the entire journey, but you're showing a large portion of what it means to be a monk. And um, that, that's very powerful, you know? So, I mean, my first question to you is how did you come to this you know how did you decide to don the the robes and shave your head and want to document the entire lifestyle of what it means to be a monastic well even before i got involved with spirituality and meditation you know, even before i kind of got on my path um i was online you know i kind of grew up at that at that precipice where online communication began to be possible. So I remember my first experience of online gaming, where I was uh, at a friend's house for a sleepover, and they had the original Xbox, and they had the Xbox Live with the Halo. So they had the headset. And the moment when I was sitting in front of this big screen TV and had this headset on and was communicating with people live, you know, that I'd never met before. I don't know. I was 13 or 14, something like that. It was just, or maybe even younger. I was just amazed. You know, I was totally blown away by it. And it wasn't so much like the, the game itself, but it was the internet part of it and this connection part of it. So that had a, a big influence on my life moving forward. And originally it was always within games. So Halo 3 or uh, SOCOM on the PSP, multiplayer games where you could have these voice discussions with people and could kind of exist in the internet world, right? So it got started with that. And then eventually I learned about like, uh, you know, voice chat rooms and video chat rooms and things like that. And... At the beginning, it was it was very much a way for me to express my frustration and my confusion and sometimes, you know, questioning and, and learning. But but mainly it was, you know, I was a troll many times in my life. You know, I've been I've been a troll and, and trying to, like, make a mess of things or just acting immature online. Right. And there was there was this intimacy that I that really connected me to it and just through going through my youth and, you know, my teens and all that and all this frustration and suffering. Um, and even into my 20s, you know, I would express that online, you know, in, in variety of ways. And 
so eventually, you know, I, I got on my path and I started to calm down and was a little bit less ridiculous. And, you know, I'm not enlightened or anything like that. But now I, I still love that intimacy online. I still love that connection and community that's possible online. And now I show up as a, as a monk. And so the, you know, the spaces that I'm familiar with, you know, I think you might have saw me on Reddit, um, but I'm on YouTube and, and these kinds of things is where, you know, so many years ago, I might have appeared or I have a discord as well. I might have appeared as this, you know, immature kind of joking guy. And I am still that to some degree, but now I get to show up as a monk. And living a monastic lifestyle, I'm, I'm supported to do that. You know, I'm, I'm fully supported to live as a monk and, and be a monk. Um, and so I, I just like to share that with people online. It's just kind of my, my presence, you know, what I'm doing and, and sharing that now online. Mm. What do you, there's many monks out there that don't want to showcase what it means to be a monk. So I think it's very unique to to be able to do that and i I, don't, I think a lot of people would actually probably disagree with that like there's probably people out there like oh he's not a real monk like what kind of monk has a smartphone or you know goes on reddit so why did you decide to want to show people what it's like yeah i mean i i get that and then i also get people who maybe knew me online before i was a monk and so now they, you know, they kind of knew me as this more immature person who, who wasn't so careful and was very freely getting into arguments and debates and things like that. Um, and now I'm a monk, you know, and they don't like that. And they don't think that I should be, you know, being a monk and, and sharing my practice and doing all these things online. You know, they a lot of people have this very conservative idea of, of a monk and what that position is and what it should be. Um, so I, I understand that, but I keep doing it and I'm doing it because it's, it's wonderful. You know, it, it supports people, um, to get involved in this kind of stuff. I'm not selling anything, you know, I'm not even selling myself. I'm facilitating community and mm. inviting people to join me in, in the way that I'm living, uh, my monastic life and I'm supported in, um, in doing, and it's like, uh, I don't really rely on support from Westerners and most monks don't to live their lives. It's usually the Sri Lankan community or the Thai community or the, the Burmese community and the kinds of temples I stay at. So that's where I get my support and being online and, and being this modern presence is something that I know is helpful to people. And it's also helpful to me in my practice. Mm. Another aspect of it, though, is that like a monk way of living is is not something that's that really exists in Western society anymore. It did a long time ago with like Catholic monks and certain kinds of Catholic priests, but it's just not very common anymore. Um, and also people are becoming less religious overall. So there's there's just not a lot of young monks, you know, Western monks in my position. And if they if there are the ones that are, they tend to be more conservative and less uh, active online or, uh, you know, less progressive about their approach to Buddhism. Whereas I'm, you know, I'm very progressive. I, I'm I'm fine with being a 
imperfect uh, monk online and sharing my practice and trying to be wholesome and, and help people. You know, that's that's enough justification for me. Mm, yeah, that's great. I don't see anything wrong with it. I think, you know, this is just the product of the incarnation that we're in. This is just the times that we were born into. I don't think there's anything wrong with showcasing what it, you know, what the monk life is. And this is it's 2021. I, you know, this is this is the world we live in. And if you want, if if is it in a how do I phrase this? Is it in a monk's path to sp spread that to others? Kind of like being the bodhisattva. Is that like? in your job would you say like your duty your purpose to showcase to others this lifestyle to almost to be like a symbol well it's it starts with our personal practice you know that's what's most important especially for a monk we are uh we're looking inward to develop our practice and and the majority of our work is inward but with that said um if outward work can support you in doing that then that's great and as you get some moniker of peace and stability and wisdom, not to be enlightened, but just some degree of it, then, yeah, you, you share that and you support the community um, that you're in to, to also have, have that experience and to do that kind of work. You know, you invite it. It's not like pushing a doctrine, but, you know, hey, what about morality? What about compassion? What about meditation? You know, have you considered this? Uh, a lot of Western people are suffering and very involved in, uh, I think the word is parasocial communities. And this is just a, a general thing, but like people watch a certain streamer or they watch a certain YouTube channel or uh, even believe in a certain religion and or a, a, a certain brand of Coke, whatever it might be. And then the the main uh, community that they have is just people who are also under this umbrella of, oh, they also watch that streamer. And so there's this, this very frail, uh, not so intimate community that they're relying on. Whereas, you know, what I invite people to do is really get involved in intimate community. And I try to be the facilitator for that with my um, ethical responsibilities and kind of always being held accountable to being a monk. And so it allows me to, to facilitate that community in a more uh, grounded way, mm. you know, cause I'm, there's no time when I can say, Oh, I'm not a monk right now. I can be ridiculous, <laughs> you know, or I can be hurtful or harmful to someone. It's being a monk is 365, 24, seven position. Mm. Can you take us through what a day is like in your life? Um, each day is a little bit different, uh, to be sure. Um, I like to wake up, take some meditation, uh, perhaps take a bath. Um, after that, uh, some study. Usually around 10 to 11 is when we have uh, local devotees coming in to offer food. And so we do a chanting service, some teaching, some meditation with them. Uh, we have lunch we have they offer food into our bowl or or into a plate it depends and i i try to bring a lot of my day to being in this reflective kind of position about what am i doing um 
how have my recent activities led to this moment and what am I, what, what I'm doing now, how is that going to affect me moving forward? And always trying to take that, that reflective contemplative look at my life. So each day is a little bit different. I, I don't have a rigid schedule really, but in general, you have the, the Buddhist services for the local devotees, um, personal meditation practice, personal study, um, and then the work that I do online. So spending time in the Discord, uh, hosting a, a daily class, a guided meditation or reading or a study group on Discord, um, and sometimes you know having a, a session on Reddit or, or things like that. There's a lot of free time for a monk to be in that uh, contemplative, reflective space. The more rigid ideas of like a, almost a military kind of lifestyle that a lot of people have those notions about monks, like they don't, uh, they don't use technology, they don't speak, um, stuff like that. It's more related to intensive retreat. So if you're on an intensive retreat, a meditation retreat, no, you won't be using technology. You won't be speaking. You won't even be making eye contact, perhaps, with someone. But outside of that, there's there's a lot of fluidity and freedom outside of retreat with how a monk can live, as long as they're supported. You know, they have a place to stay. In a sense, we're we're also homeless. So there's um, like in the Buddhist time, the monks would just be wandering. You know, they didn't have an exact place where they lived or stayed at. They even had a practice of not sleeping under one tree for three days because they would just continue to wander and, and to move. And I, I try to integrate that into into my practice as well, kind of a, a modern wandering uh, monk. Mm. Would you say your home is in the mind? Yeah, and, and finding finding home in that moment to moment experience that's mm. not related to the, you know, the story of the building that I'm living in or the story of uh, expecting to stay here tomorrow and being here yesterday and, and all that, but to just really continue stepping into this is, you know, this is home. <laughs> yeah. This is it. <laughs> Would you say that's kind of what it is, is kind of liberating yourself from the story of that we built up? or that we build up, um, like the story of our egos. Yeah, and that's that's one of the greatest joys that has gone, gone along with, with being a monk, especially living in Southeast Asia. Right now I'm in England. Um, but there you're just, you know, e- the society as a whole, as a monk, I could fly into Sri Lanka or Thailand or Myanmar with this robe and my bowl, my begging bowl, barefoot with nothing else and i wouldn't have any problem Mm. i'd have a place to stay and live indefinitely um, in any of those countries so you can really embody that this is home you know step by step this is this is home yeah that sounds like a sense of freedom but you have to give up your material possessions so it's freedom with no, it's essentially that's what a monk is. It's like no attachments, right? You're 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 attempting to detach yourself from anything of the outside world and really go within, right? That that's the journey. It's the approach. Yeah, it's it's definitely the approach. Now, is it is it you have to get rid of all your things and become a monk? No, 
Um, and even for monks, you know, I have a phone, I have, I'm using a tripod right now to, uh, you know, to facilitate this interaction. I have things, but it's to, to work with the mind in a way where we are ready to do exactly that, you know, where we are ready and able to put down those possessions and walk and we can live that way. You know, mm-hmm. that we, we have this relationship with our mind where that's reasonable, you know, that's doable. And even, even beneficial, even nice, you know, to practice like that. Would you say you're more at peace? Since becoming a monk, yeah. And it's, it's not only on the spiritual side, but becoming a part of a institution, a community, you know, so you have many places to live. It's, I don't have to, I'm not trying to make money in any way. And I don't need to, uh, because people, there's such a large Buddhist community that supports monks uh, to live in this way. So really becoming a part of that community is empowering and stabilizing for sure. Yeah, that, that is such a empowering idea to rid yourself of the idea of money. Because what is encapsulating everybody's mind in the 21st century? It's money money we bow down to money money is our idol right so when you just when you live the idea of living without money is so foreign even to me it just seems like how so do you rely on the 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 good the goodness of others like donations like your alms 100 percent. it's all about donations it's all about the goodness of others so the clothes that i'm wearing where i'm living um, it's totally through donation, through support um, given without a certain expectation. You know, there's there's social relationships, there's things that go into it, but Buddhist monks are not in the in the habit of selling anything, or at least they shouldn't be. Um, and so, yeah, I just rely on donations. You know, support. Um, I did a practice. We we have a monastic practice going back to the time of the Buddha called Tudong which is when we, we kind of take up that, um, that way of giving up everything and just walking, just traveling. And I've, I've done this in, in Burma for a few days. And when you, I, I, was, I slept at a graveyard for a couple of days. And wow. the first night I slept at this graveyard, no one knew I was there. So it was, it was quite fine. It was you know, peaceful. No one was there. The next morning, I, I woke up early and I went for alms round, which is we take our bowl and, and wrap the robe like this. And we walk through the village with our head kind of turned down, walking slowly and very mindfully. And people call out to us to donate. So they donate fruit, money, rice, curry. Um, and this was just in a random village in the middle of nowhere. They didn't know who I was. Um, they didn't know where I was from. It was just just to support uh, the monks practice because mm-hmm. the people in Burma, in Myanmar are that devotedly Buddhist mm-hmm. wherever you go. So as a monk living in those countries, you'll always be supported. Mm. Can you, do you think you could do that in a Western country? Um, it's possible, but it's, it's would be a different practice. It'd be very different. Yeah. Wow. Yeah, it's such an inspiring lifestyle, it really is. I don't know. It's I see Buddhism from a, you know, I'm not I'm not of any sect or any like, you know, I'm not a monk, but I see it as from what I've studied as a means to an end to this game in a way. 
it's a it's a way to escape the the happenings of our mind that that keep us latched here that keep us attached which which essentially leads us to suffer would you say that's an accurate description it's kind of like the strategy guide to life well strategy guide to life yes i like that but there's no rejecting there's no getting rid of so it's all about transforming our relationship to the mundane transforming our relationship to to the things that we don't like and that we like and to boredom so when you sit in meditation especially as a as a beginner and we're most everyone's i'm a beginner in in many ways um we we feel like uncomfortableness we might feel pain something like that and when we feel that it's this leaning into it and being okay with it giving our attention to that pain that thing we don't like and accepting it versus mm. this mind of oh i don't like that i better get away from it mm. and so slowly over time we're we're transforming our relationship from not liking and liking to loving to accepting all phenomena everything that comes up and that allows us to have a a different relationship to those things that cause us to suffer mm. and it to let go of our this habit this way of living of craving and aversion try you know trying to get this and trying to avoid that yeah do you think the, the monastic life is the i guess uh would you say most effective way to do that to reach a state of detachment or in accepting whatever comes up in your mind not necessarily uh it can be a helpful tool you know a helpful reminder so every day i wake up and the only clothes in my closet are robes most of the time i don't have a closet so it's a it's a great reminder for me you know with my kind of cause and effect conditions um it's a great way for me to live but for other people just to begin to bring some meditation into their life and a extra emphasis on ethics you know how how to live ethically um you can you can go a long long way without drastically changing your life as you're living it right now you know the kind of uh the job that you have or where you live you don't need to change all that to change your relationship to yourself to suffering mm-hmm. Mm. But it's it can be helpful and it's inspiring, right? It can help to inspire as well. Mhm. Yeah, I always think like if I have been through multiple incarnations, millions of incarnations maybe, then this one seems very intriguing to me. There's there is you know, this the the fact that we're doing this right now is something special. Um that wasn't able to be done for you know anybody else in the past so it it seems like something was leading up to this incarnation you know if there was some kind of you know if it if it is like a linear thing of like you know past like time is linear maybe it is maybe it isn't i don't know but this one that i'm in seems very very interesting right so what i'm getting at is does it seems to be like over these multiple incarnations is it leading up to me to become a monk is it leading up to everyone else to become a monk like maybe not 
maybe not everybody else in this lifetime during this time of 2021 but is it in everybody's would you say i don't know i have to choose my words wisely i guess but like would you say it's in everyone's destiny to follow that way like is true detachment from the mind over multiple lifetimes truly achieved by following this lifestyle well this this brings up the topic of uh, fetishizing monks and fetishizing the lifestyle so monk is a particular tradition a particular way of living but the you know the the monasteries and the the way that monks live in southeast asia it's not an enlightened society but um bringing that that extra layer of emphasis on our ethics on our contemplative uh kind of approach and stance to reality and and being kind of intrigued by as you said this these conditions that we find ourselves in which are quite unbelievable you know i mean um this technology and and being able to it is it's unbelievable and you can explain it technologically scientifically but if you look at it in terms of human experience you know we're projecting our image through space and time and uh, our voice you know it's a, it's quite trippy kind of stuff yeah so um i think that we as a society are moving towards a more contemplative um ethical approach to life but we we've got a long way to go and uh, is that absolutely going to happen for sure i don't know uh but certainly a part of my aspiration is to to help and encourage as many people as possible to to consider this approach to to life and there's really no you know everyone should be compassionate and and take a kind of contemplative stance and we should not go out of our way to justify encouraging suffering for someone just because they're wrong or bad according to some metric that we've brought up is it's just there's only good that can come out of it you know it's only skillful to be compassionate moment to moment and take a a contemplative approach to complex situations not just right and wrong and we need to do this we need to do that you know yeah and i think we're moving moving towards that in a lot of ways yeah with social so. justice and all kinds of different things yeah i think so i almost see like the world we live in as or slowly moving toward like a um i mean very slowly we're not there yet but it's moving toward like a giant sangha like we're moving toward just a, a giant community and i think doing this online is kind of showcasing that which is going to be in the future like we i ideally this is my idealism speaking i think we are moving toward just being this giant community like there there are little communities in it like involved in it right now but i think ultimately we're just going to be a collective community on this earth and i know that seems like a very distant idea especially if you watch the news and see what's going on in this uh, chaotic world but i think if i had to guess there's something in me that says we are moving toward everyone kind of not exactly you know putting on the orange robes and shaving their head but kind of exhibiting some of those aspects of that lifestyle and that's getting back to it i think this is very it's a very um crazy time to be alive man this is uh like this is the beginning of that like i see like the way is the way you know there is no other way to live and once you come to that conclusion 
You don't really leave that. And the internet is allowing us to show us the way. I would have never been exposed to these these ideas if I was born, say, 1940 or 50. So I think this is the dawning of like a new era of a collective sangha, I guess you could say. I don't know. Maybe I'm just, maybe that's just my idealism, like I said. But I think one way or the other, we're all going to approach that kind of monastic lifestyle, not but not necessarily so intensive. And that's why I think it's important for you and people like you to showcase that and see, and show people that it is possible and to show the um, kind of correct living, you know, the, the right way, the, uh, the, the, I don't know how else to explain it. It's kind of like your, your, your symbol to how we should approach this life and, um, you know, escape the, escape the just craziness that we've gotten ourselves into. And, uh, yeah, the internet is allowing us to facilitate that on this entire planet. It's a very amazing time to be alive. I think ultimately we are going to get to that. I think we are, the human race is going to be kind of this very, very, um, I don't know, it's not holy, um, the word I'm looking for, but just like more. Skillful. More, what, what is that? Skillful. Yeah, skillful. Just, yeah, more attuned to Dharma, I think. Um, got a little ways to go, but we'll get there, you know, we'll get there. <laughs> uh yeah, I don't know. That's why I always question. I'm like, is it in everybody's destiny to become like this Dharma, you know, attuned to the Dharma so much and become a monk in a way? And I don't necessarily know if it's becoming like a straight up monk like you are, but I think there's certain things that we can all take from the, the, the things that you are showing on your YouTube channel, on your Discord, or wherever else that you decide to, you know, show us the, the way to live. It's awesome. I don't know. Cool time to be alive. That's that's all I'm saying. It's a, it's an amazing time to be here. It's a, it's the awakening, you know? This, this really is. I know it sounds cliche, but this is really an awakening of something in humanity. There's something else. That's, we're just suffering so much all over the world like we're just we're looking for something we're looking for a purpose we're looking for like why what am i who am i why am i here and there's nothing that's really going to tell you that the news isn't going to tell you that this podcast isn't really even going to tell you that you know n people around you might not tell you but there's certain there's certain directions you can take to facilitate that within yourself and I think that's kind of where we're ultimately moving. Yeah, it's a cool time to be alive. I don't know. Do you, um, where do you see the world moving in the future, you know? Do you, do you see it as collectively kind of approaching more of this contemplative state, the more skillful state that you mentioned? Well, I, I don't um, I don't focus on the past very, or the future very very often. Be in the past present, or right? future, really, in the present. Uh, but I think there is a 
there is a looking at history, there is a natural move towards nonviolence, towards peace. Uh, we've got these social justice movements uh, that are flourishing right now. We have uh, mindfulness and meditation, which is spreading from the East and being shown to be extremely effective in dealing with a lot of the neuroses um, that we, especially as Western people, suffer from. So a lot of people are getting into the Dharma, uh, getting into ethics, compassion, meditation. And you have people like Thich Nhat Hanh, the Dalai Lama, uh, many Dharma teachers who would previously not be able to share their message with so many people and that message is being shared and it's it's going to have a major effect you know Thich Nhat Hanh in particular he's put out so many books so many teachings he also has a, a deeply robust monastic community Thich Nhat Hanh um, that it's it's going to have an effect it's going to continue to you know to grow and develop and people want Sometimes I've I've used this phrasing when talking to younger people on online. People want high tier memes. That's what people want. That's what mm -hmm. the upvotes go to to high tier memes. And once we our perspective opens up because we're exposed to different experiences, we develop a new barometer or a new metric for what's a high tier meme and what's a low tier meme. So a lot of that toxic, reactionary, uh, violent, or negative kind of ill will based stuff um, it doesn't hold up you know it's not it's not viable it's not workable and it's only in these kind of uh, vacuums of human experience that these things proliferate that they spread you know oh yeah we should really be nasty and hateful we should try and hurt this person um, or with this group is uh, all the people in this group are this way or that way you know speaking down to people um, but when you look from a bigger picture, from a wider perspective, it becomes very clear that compassion is much better way to live in all circumstances than any punishment. You know, I, I come from the stance that no one deserves to be punished. No one needs to be punished. People need help. Yeah. You know, that's that's it. And I think it's natural that more and more people are going to come to that conclusion as as time goes by. Mm. Got a little ways to go, but we'll get there. What do you think it means to be a human being? Are we here to discover what we truly are through our sufferings? Well, I think our sufferings are opportunities for us to, to learn about ourselves and to learn about our nature. And the big issues tend to come from trying to get away from our suffering. That that is somehow, you know, we're going to run away from the bear and then we're going to be at peace. We're going to be happy. Um, but actually, I would, I would say in this sense, we turn towards the bear. We hug the bear. We give our attention to this hungry, angry, um, bipolar, um, sadistic bear. You know, this, this negative self-speech bear. We, we turn towards it and we say, hey, I care about you. I'm your friend. You know, I'm here. And we give our attention to those sufferings. And I think that's really where we, we plant the seed of compassion in our suffering, in our difficulty. Yeah. Um, and it, it allows us to find purpose in the, the ordinary moments. You know, we don't always need to be seeking these special experiences or, avo you know, avoiding these special experiences. We can find that 
that this life that we're living right now, as we hear, as we see, is special. It's yeah. fundamental. There's there's such a deep, deep resource of, of meaning and understanding to be found just in our normal, ordinary experience. Yeah. Yeah. That's that's a it's tough to get to. Do you think that's what I mean, you can't really describe it. I know you can't. But working toward enlightenment, is that kind of the gist of it? Is we are, it's continually dwelling in this present moment and realizing the magnitude of what we're in, the, like, just, just kind of realizing that this is beautiful dream that we find ourselves in and dwelling in that, not getting lost in the attachments of a mind trying to like, oh, think about this, think about bills, think about what about someone said this to you this day? Is it just like realizing the, the sanctity of the present moment, every moment that we're alive, is that kind of, would you say, the gist of what it means to be an enlightened being, or at least on the path of enlightenment? Well, the more the more practical we can be when we talk about spirituality and enlightenment, the better. You know, that's what's going to allow you to engage and, and work with it. So especially at the beginning, it's just like if you want to be a marathon runner. You know, you want to be have a very special experience being a runner and, and take up that. When you first go out the door and begin jogging, it's it's a mess. You have to first learn to jog. You have to first get comfortable with with jogging, with moving in that way. And once you are, then you can, you know, you expand, you can develop more and more. The beginning of spiritual practice, you know, the path to enlightenment is stabilizing the mind. We've got to calm things down. We have to simplify uh, the mind. And that's what, we, that's what we do in meditation and with ethical living. We're able to sim- simplify and stabilize and calm the mind. And then just as you described, that doorway becomes a, a reasonable way of actualizing ourselves. And we can rely on that and we can come back to this deep meaning and relevance of the present moment. But the beginning is to bring up ethical living and prioritize it and also to to stabilize and to calm down mm-hmm. many people get into you know astrology and chakras and spirituality and psychic and reptile i mean it just it's never ending they really get into complicated stuff but for me i i always advise those people if you want to get involved in that great but Work on simplifying and stabilizing the mind so you can enjoy the sanctity of the present. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I always say it's the simplest, hardest thing to do. You know, it's just when I teach, I teach yoga and I tell people like the breath, it's all about the breath, becoming aware of it. But when you become aware of it, and then you can control it. And when you can control your breath, you can control your mind. But it's some for some reason, it's the hardest thing to do it's very simple like we're always breathing we are, there's not a time when you're not breathing and then once you can become aware of that you can control it and then from there you can control your mind but there's some for some reason we are just it's just so easy to lose it it's just so easy to just become unaware of how we breathe like is there would you say the breath is an extremely important aspect of um, controlling the mind. I don't. I don't focus so much on controlling the mind, but it's it's more that the and a lot of the spiritual advice that people give, 
and controlling the mind is part of it, but uh, it's very much about your perspective. But when we are working with the mind and we're working with the, the art of living and the art of spiritual teaching, being a yoga teacher, being a meditation teacher, whatever it is, a lot of times people can hear what you say to them. It sounds like, oh my gosh, everyone knows that. You know, you're talking about being kind to someone who's not kind to you or, or being compassionate towards negative aspects of yourself. Everyone knows that. To, yeah, that's true. But to do it is profound. To do it is totally revolutionary. So to begin working, if you want to control your mind, to begin working with the breath and, and really tuning in to this thing that we're always doing, yeah, to say it is, well, what could be simpler? What could be more dull and uninteresting than breathing? But mm -hmm. to do it is this kind of revolution of, of perspective. You know, yeah. to really be here, to really be aware and breathe as a human being, it's it's totally out of bounds from how we usually think about ourselves and our lives and other people. But once you start doing it, it's, uh, it's transformative, even if it's so simple to say, you know? Yeah. Transformative how though? How would you describe that? How it transforms this experience? Well, we, we go from, the, from my experience, we go from, this mind, this identity that is always relying on story. We're mm. always relying on, I did this in the past. I want this in the future. I'm currently going through, you know, this situation. We're always relying on that. And so we kind of, we're trapping ourselves in a certain position and a certain way of seeing things and a, a way of relating to ourselves. When we just start to breathe, we really open that door of presence, being aware rather than story and thinking and judgment. And the more that you practice with that, the more that you can rely on that, that door opens up more and more. And eventually you can say, wow, look at all those thoughts going by. Mm -hmm. You know, look at that story that uh, is coming up in my mind, but there's no need to rely on that. You can rely on your breathing, your presence, on your awareness. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So it's, it's less so to you about controlling it's not about controlling those thoughts it's more so just kind of watching them kind of float downstream like leaves in a stream just kind of noticing and, and taking taking note of that just saying like you said wow look at that wow look at that fear look at that that anger look at that happiness maybe and it's kind of just becoming the witness in a way yeah there is fear versus my i'm afraid mm yeah, okay, yes, yeah, it's, it's, a, it's the case of identification with the fear. Yeah. That's, yeah, that's profound. Is, so that is, are there people you think out there that just continually dwell in that mindset rather than, is that the goal? I know there's no goal, there's no end goal, but in, in, in the case of how we're speaking right now in the game that we're playing, you know, is that the goal is to become the eternal witness in this body? I think we are the eternal witness. That's kind of the situation that we're, we're, we're dealing with. And then all yeah. this other stuff that we're getting caught up in is the, uh, the frictions or the, uh, the waves on the surface of the water. Sometimes it's a major storm, but once you, you know, go beneath that, you, you see that 
that that's not really the fundamental. That's not the primary, you know, mm-hmm. this awareness is. And so people who go through spiritual development, they, their perspective changes in the same way that someone who, you know, this is maybe a sensitive topic, but someone who has like a TBI, traumatic brain injury, something like that, their, that impact, it might change their perspective. And so they're no longer looking from that previous perspective and that's their life. And with spiritual attainment and spiritual realization as well, it's just like with the, the seriousness or the sincerity of something like TBI, it's, it's someone's life. It's this moment. It's this reality. And so you, you can't really make a metric of it because once you experience it or once you go through that, sure, you can talk about it, but you're not speaking from that previous perspective. Mm. You're speaking from this perspective that you have right now. Yeah. And so as our perspective changes, that's, you know, that's the real attainment. But the person who was there before isn't attaining anything. And eventually, the further you go, there's there's less of a a personhood before that, you know, that perspective change. So eventually it's going from basically not a person at all to really there's there's nothing self-oriented in this experience. Hmm. So for the Buddha to, to bring up the Buddha as an example of this, the Buddha attained enlightenment. Right. So we would say the Buddha attained the goal. But the the Buddha attained enlightenment with conditions. So he he was enlightened, but he also had a body. He felt pain. He felt emotions, happiness, sadness, uh, gain and loss because he had a body. But he wasn't attached to any of that. So when the Buddha died, we say that the Buddha attained parinibbana or final nibbana. So the the substance of the buddha at that point the person who we say is the buddha there's there was no self in that so the the body died the senses died the perceptions the mind all of that passed away but what was the buddha did not die just kind of you could say flowed out but that's that's not that's not the right way to say it um Mm. that what the buddha was was not separate from death Yes. It was beyond birth and death. It was beyond any kind of contraction uh, on change. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so the Buddha isn't necessarily the image of the Buddha like I have in my background. It's it's not Siddhartha Gautama. It's the Buddha is, I guess, putting it, it's an essence. It's it's just is. It's, what would you, how would you describe with, with these mouth noises that we're using what yeah. Buddhahood is? Well, Buddhahood is our awareness nature. You know, we say our Buddha nature, our total in tuneness without any attachment to all circumstances, all conditions arising and, and passing away. And it's there's a there's a concept that the, the Buddha woke up to the way that things were. You know, the Buddha didn't get something out of the ordinary. The Buddha woke up to the nature of the ordinary, the fundamental uh, ground of being, you can say. So it's, you know, it's not the traditional Buddha Siddhartha Gautama, while we do venerate him as our founding teacher and philosopher, uh, it's more that waking up. And that waking up, I was listening to a teacher recently who said that, you know, to become enlightened, to wake up in, in this way is not difficult. Almost anyone can do it. But what is difficult is the the work that comes after that. Mm. 
And that's moment to moment, you know, keeping with that waking up practice, keeping up with that cultivation of our ethics and our meditation and all this. Yeah. So, yeah. So it's like, you know, um, before enlightenment, chop wood, carry water. After enlightenment, chop wood, carry water type of thing. It just doesn't. So the journey doesn't end after this so-called, you know, you reach the goalpost of enlightenment. It's more so of a, the journey is the destination type of thing, right? Sure. But if you, if you think I am enlightened, that's a trap. Yeah. You're in a trap, you know, so whether or not you are enlightened, once you start thinking I am enlightened, mm-hmm. you're getting yourselves into, you're getting yourself into a trap. Mm. So it's just to continue doing that, that work, you know, that cultivation, working to become more compassionate, more gentle, more patient, uh, more mm-hmm. contemplative. And so there's this immediacy of waking up, you know, what the Buddha woke up to, and we're all kind of, you know, we're in that situation one way or another. But then there's also the gradual mind training. And this, this idea that for Westerners, we know that you can train the body to be very strong, especially if you take steroids and all these stuff. I mean, you can be unbelievably strong. Um, you, can ha- you can be an unbelievably amazing marathon runner if you train, especially um, compared to what a normal person would be who doesn't have a lot of activity. In the same way, we can train our mind. Uh, pretty, pretty in depth. And and the mind, of course, is a lot more subtle than the body. You know, we, we train our bicep, it just gets a little bit bigger. Um, there's a limit to that. But for training the mind, it's really expansive, you know, we can take it really far. So having that humbleness about where we are, and what our experience of enlightenment is, and just continuing to endeavor uh, to cultivate peace and well being. Uh, continuing to endeavor to not endeavor, which is hmm. to just be here now, you know, to just be aware. Yeah. Yeah. It's like working with the paradoxes of our, of our mind. It's like being able to, uh, it's just like, it's just a giant game, man. I just see it as just like this. Life is just this game and we just have to continually stay on, like you said, keep doing the work, stay on your toes to not, um, I guess, identify with the game. You know, don't you, I mean, it's, it's hard, man. But when we get into these conversations, I always find myself at a loss of words <laughs> because I realize that what we're doing right now is just a game with words. There's really no way, um, there's really no way to describe what we're trying to talk about truly, like to truly have somebody else internalize for whoever's watching, um, there's no way that there's no which way that I could form my words that somebody could internalize their own Buddhahood within themselves. This is just kind of like, what, what would you say the purpose of these kind of conversations are? Are these, is this this one giant symbol of a conversation that we're having for somebody else? We can say upaya, which is expedient means. So this is using particular means according to someone's abilities, someone's karma, someone's conditions, to encourage them, to inspire them, to kind of invite them to get involved in the, in the practice. Mm-hmm. You know? And it's not selling anything. A lot of people are selling meditation and things like that, but it is inviting people, um, expressing the teachings, expressing the experience in a way to be invitative according to someone's particular conditions. You know, mm-hmm. it's just like speaking in a language that someone can understand. Yes, yes. That makes sense.
I like that how it's inviting. There's no, there's no, you know, there's no attachment. You're just kind of like, kind of planting the seed, like you right. said. Just kind of like, hey, maybe, 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 you know, consider this. Consider it this way. But ultimately, yeah, this is something that everyone has to do in their own body. This is not anything that is can be transmitted from the outside world. That's what I find it very interesting. Like no matter, you know, I I do a lot of reading myself. I listen to a lot of teachers myself, but I always keep in the back of my mind that this is just like that's their experience and they're just transmitting this into me as a means as a symbol from their experience. There's nothing like I truly it's truly down to us as the individual from this perspective in this body. That's what I find it very interesting. And that's a that's another trap that I think we can easily get um, sucked into is is is, you know, venerating somebody, uh, you know, holding somebody as an idol like he is the one. I think I heard somebody say that Buddha didn't invent Buddhism. And, you know, Christ didn't invite and invent um, Christianity. It was kind of the people around him when they were preaching that, like, you know, their their message was kind of similar is that, like, you know, I am the one, but you are the one as well. You know, this it's kind of like not getting lost in our idols, not getting lost in in somebody and bowing down to a a false idol, because truly the true idol is yourself. The true idol is within your own being. And, you know, that's just a realization that you just come to on your own accord. I don't know how everybody has their own way of doing it. Everybody has their own journey their own karma that they have to reap in this life. But ultimately, I'm not going to do it for you. You're not going to do it for you. You can just kind of point the way. It's just kind of like the, that metaphor of uh, pointing at the moon and the finger in the moon. Just don't get, uh, you know, don't get lost at the, at, at uh, paying attention to the finger, right? Too many people pay attention to that and they, and they think they forget that what it's pointing to. And the moon is essentially what's with inside of all of us, you know, it's, uh, it's I don't know. It's it's we you, go ahead. What you we have to do our own work. Yeah. And this this common idea that a lot of people have, probably a lot of our peers have, and we have at times, is that the way that we're going to live our life and deal with life and be in the world is to consume. That yeah. that's the way that we're gonna do it. We're gonna try to avoid stuff we don't like. We're going to try to consume as much of what we like as po- as we possibly can. And that's what we're going to do. And it's just not a viable way to, uh, to go through that maturation process, to become a man or a woman or a member of society through just consuming. You have to do the work. And it's not just work so you can consume more, but it's, like you said, it's to see that moon within you. And just yeah. to start by looking. Yeah, you know, questioning what, you know, what's really going on here, you yeah, know, but, exactly. but it's not someone else who's going to be answering that, or it's not going to be, oh, it's that person doing that. It's within us mm-hmm. that we find that that real questioning. I'm always curious on everybody's, oh, excuse me, everybody's catalyst moment to that that questioning of, oh, what it like, what? Hold on a second, like, what is this? Because I think that's a very pivotal moment in the journey of, you know, however we get there. But there was probably a moment for you where you're just, you know, or maybe, you know, a a series or sequence of moments that led up to a point of, wait, what am I doing? Why am I living like this? What 
what is going on, you know? And from all the people I speak to, it seems to be some kind of, there is like some kind of catalyst event that leads to us to, 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 to walk the path. And um, I find that so interesting because there is, there has to be a moment, right? Where you walk the path or at least you find the path and then you decide to walk it. So what was that for you? Was there like a certain moment that you can remember and been like, wait, hold on a second. What, what am I doing? Well, I've had many moments like that, but one does come to mind quite strongly. And uh, I'm a little, I'm a little embarrassed to, to say it, but um, not so embarrassed, but certainly odd for a monk to talk about this. <laughs> uh, so I was, I think, 20 years old or something, and I just began uh, traveling in the U.S., trying to find my, you know, my, my home and my, my home, you know, as we spoke about earlier. And it led me to living with a yoga instructor in upstate New York. And so she was older, you know, 27. She had many years of spirituality and meditation and Buddhism and not Buddhism particularly, but she had been connected to that. And uh, one one day, one night, I was staying with her and, and someone gave me this uh, like LSD. I think it was actually fake LSD that they gave me. Mm-hmm. And she wasn't there. She wasn't home. And so I kind of started tripping out on that and was in one of these group video chat rooms, which I so often you know would be in. And. I told the people, you're like, oh my gosh, I, you know, I took LSD. It might've been LSD, but I think maybe, I don't know. It was something like that. And I told them, I said, Hey, I took this. I'm kind of freaking out. I don't know what's going on. And they recommended to me this video by Alan Watts on nothingness or emptiness and emptiness more as like inclusiveness, like within you is everything, you know, and your small views of yourself are empty of this kind of permanent truth or this intrinsic self. It's not there. Yeah. So I kind of just listened to that and started crying and um, just, you know, made me really question, what is this silence? You know, what is me? What is this self? And from there, I, I got heavily involved into lots of Alan Watts and Eckhart Tolle. And I remember my, first time trying to meditate was according to one of Eckhart Tolle's books. And I was trying to like turn the pain body into light. And I was, you know, I really wanted to get this over with. I wanted to get enlightened already. And of course that didn't work, but it really sparked that journey for me of looking. And so it, it went from Alan Watts on LSD and Eckhart Tolle to the native American church and like peyote shamanism. And uh, staying at a Hare Krishna temple for two weeks after dropping out because it just wasn't for me. And, you know, go ups and downs and all this. And eventually I found Buddhism. You know, I moved and, and lived, moved into a Buddhist meditation center, a Western meditation center called Upaya, actually. And I lived there for a year. And that was just, I found that stabilizing, that grounding. And that's exactly what I needed. You know, in, in Zen, I found that originally. So I kept up with Buddhism and, you know, it eventually led me to here. Mm. Yeah, that's interesting, man. Wow. That, I, a lot of people go down that path when they take some kind of psychedelic substance. There's something in the right conditions. It can spark something. 
in somebody's head. Not everybody, that's for sure. There's a lot of people doing these things and they just want to see the colors and feel some kind of way. But within the right mindset, within the right person's, I guess, um, certain situation in life, whether it's LSD, psilocybin, peyote, DMT, whatever it is, there's something that can spark something in people to show them the path. It's, that's what I find so interesting about these substances. If used correctly, there's something that can show you the path. Not always, though. It's only certain individuals that it happens to. It happened to me. It showed me a certain way to live. I wouldn't be the, the same way in this situation doing what we're doing now if it wasn't for psilocybin mushrooms. So it's so interesting to me. That's a huge catalyst with a lot of people that I speak to, too. It's like they take these substances that show them a certain way to live. And it's interesting they listen to Alan Watts. I've been listening to a lot of Alan Watts lately as well. And he was just, that guy's a character, man. Because he wasn't fully, like he wasn't monastic, but he was, like he was, he, he described himself as like, as uh, like somewhere between, you know, he was like a lay person and a monk. Like he was like the, the perfect, because he was an alcoholic, but he was also very involved in Zen and very involved in like Eastern traditions. So he, something about that man, he was a prophet. And uh, yeah, he, there's something about Alan Watts's character, man. He is just something else. I don't know who he was, what he was here for, but he, the, his way with words, his presence. I wish I could have spoken to the man because he just, I don't know, he was amazing. And uh, yeah, that's, that's I, great story. I would say, yeah, I would say that with psychedelics, it, it brings you into a sense of community uh, mm -hmm. with your own mind, with your own brain, and turns you inward very quickly. And then you're in communion with your, you know, all these aspects of yourself, all these aspects of your experience. So it can inspire some people. It can also destabilize some people. And yeah. really, people who are successful, who, who have some degree of success, if you want to call it that, on the path, are exceedingly rare. You know, most people are just kind of meandering around and getting caught up in all kinds of things. I would say that what really did it for me, what what made that impact to get me on the, the path to to where I am now was community, Sangha. Mm -hmm. And it's one of the things that I, I really, really believe in that people are lacking in, which is spiritual community intimacy councils discussions community engagement really being a part of a community i feel that so few people are experiencing that in in the modern world especially yeah. western people with capitalism and all that mm -hmm. and um that's what that's what did it for me and so i really try to support that and facilitate that uh, you know in my community in my discord you know because like, we do like, the video chats and the voice chats and all that is it like a form of true connection would you say like connection more than just like kind of like an ego kind of thing. Like, how about them Red Sox type of thing? It's yeah, like it's an intimacy. Connection. Yeah, it's an opening of the heart. It's, I mean, it's crying with people. It's, it can take all kinds of different forms, but it's really being with people outside of this framework of I want to get this and I want to avoid this, you mm -hmm. know, or or you're this kind of person, I'm that kind of person. Just totally being vulnerable and open and in mm -hmm. continuous connection with people. You know, we don't just have a relation. Think of a relationship with a loved one, you know, like a husband or wife or a partner. Everyone's looking for that. Everyone's struggling to find this kind of partnership, this relationship. 
Um, and it's usually based in some kind of sexuality. And think of why everyone wants that because it's so empowering and so rewarding. Yeah. We can have that relationship with other people. We can have mm -hmm. that relationship in community. Yeah. I've heard a teacher, I don't know who, but he said that the, you know, the return of Buddha, Maitreya, in the 21st century sense will be the Sangha. So it's interesting that you say that. Hmm. Wow, that's powerful. And I think, yeah, the internet is a amazing way to facilitate that. That is, this is the Sangha. This is the way for us to do that. If we use it correctly, we can create communities like you're creating and really fully, you know, connect in a way that we don't usually connect if used correctly. Yeah, it's a beautiful time to be alive, Bonte. It really is. Very interesting. Like I said, you know, this is there's something special about this lifetime. Or maybe that's just my ego talking, but that's okay. <laughs> there's something, like I said, about this this right now, this current moment that we're in, and the one that you're in too, the viewer. There's something special about the tools that we have our, at our disposal that allow us to, um, I don't know, reach a sense of peace, I guess, uh, a sense of liberation, or uh, at least kind of point us in the direction of that and uh, really feel what it feels like to be a human being more than just trying to get materialism, you know, trying to just trying to just satisfy our sensual pleasures there's a way to kind of navigate through using the internet and this technology to really really get into the depths of what it means to be in this body in this current moment i love it i love it it's a, it's beautiful and also chaotic at the same time but i wouldn't want to be in any other any other body i guess you could say <laughs> in any other time period I think that those catalyst moments that we just spoke about are kind of reaching an exponential point in the time period that we're living in. There's, like I said, this, there's something special about this lifetime where that is allowing all of us to be able to be like, whoa, hold on, hold on, wait a second. What's going on? Why are we here? What's, what's happening? Why, why are these things coming up in my mind? And how do I truly find peace? How do I truly find happiness, maybe, some would say? How do I find maybe God, some would say? Whatever label you want to put on it. What is, you know, what is purpose? What is my purpose? There's something going on right now where it's allowing us collectively to be able to come to that. And I think it's just, we just can't bear our suffering anymore. I think we just like, we're just fed up. There's something collectively, we're just like, I need to find a different way. I need to truly find connection. Like you said, I need to like, you know, talk to somebody. I need to just actually be able to like reach, reach true connection with somebody or, you know, maybe kind of work your way into that. Um, yeah, I think that's the time we're living in, man. So it's a beautiful time to be alive. <sighs> I don't even know where to take this thing anymore. Uh, You've lifted yeah. off. I've lifted off. It's like a spaceship shooting up into space. <laughs> yes. <laughs> oh, man. I think we can probably wrap this thing up. I mean, do you have any closing words that you'd like to say before we stop recording?
Well, just thank you so much for having me. I'm really happy to be here on the, the conscious perspective. And um, anyone here who's who's watching and, and is interested, you're, you're welcome to check out my community and join us, practice meditation with us if you like. But even if you don't do that, just take care of yourself yep. and never get into that position of justifying being mean mm -hmm. or negative towards yourself. Mm. Just be a friend mm. and be a, be a friend, friend to, to those around you as well. Yeah. Yeah. That's what we need, man. Be a friend. Be a little nicer to yourself. You deserve it. We all deserve it. Well, thank you, Monte. Um, yeah, I appreciate you coming on here. You're a very, very wise man. Um, I look forward to, uh, you know, seeing what the future holds for you and uh you know where you decide to take your youtube channel and yeah i'm glad i got to speak to you this was pretty cool i i, I appreciate your presence thank you have a good day and have a good day everybody that watched peace out it's all gonna we're, hey we're all gonna be okay it's all good <laughs> just take some time for yourself thank you see ya